0: this morning if you have a bible turn with me to the book of acts and what we are going to do is we are going to read this portion of scripture it's a, uh, a fairly short one today and um, we are going to read it and then uh, we'll look at it a little bit more in depth acts chapter 4 uh, starting in verse 32 and then we'll go through chapter 5 verse 11 and the title of the message this morning is great power great grace, and great fear. Acts 4.32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought, them, uh, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, who is named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Welcome, if you're visiting. (laughs) Welcome to Calvary Chapel. This is, uh, <laughs> this is what we do. We open up the Word of God and we go through it. And I'll tell you that there's an accountability of doing that because you get God's balance of things. You don't just teach things that are comfortable or easy for you to teach. You go through the Word of God and you realize this is God's priority. To the degree and extent that God mentions these things are the times that we uh, go through it in Scripture when we're going through a, a book of the Bible. And right now we are going through the book of Acts um sometimes christians if you've been a a believer for a while you could say things like that and i've said things like that i've said man i just wish i was a part of the early church i just wish what a great time to to be a part of minute can you imagine what it was like being in the early church just going back to the book of acts and then you read something like this and you think not so much right because you realize that in the same way that God was testifying to what he was doing with great grace. There was great power. There was also great fear. And one of the things to notice is that at this point in time, at the end right there that we just read, it's kind of like many people were seeing these things that were done, but, but there were some people that didn't want to join and get involved with the church because they saw that there was an accountability, that God is real, and there's also this judgment that happens, so this morning, I just kind of want to set a little bit of context for you with uh, this picture here. Um, anyone know who that is? All right, Some of you know some of you know your history. Rosie the Riveter. OK? Rosie the Riveter. Um, this is a, a Norman Rockwell depiction of uh, Rosie the Riveter, which is basically a persona that represents an era. And uh, this is on the, the Saturday Evening Post. During World War II, if you know, uh, the country was in a state of uh, emergency. It was all hands on deck, and it didn't matter if if there were elementary school kids, they were earning money, they were collecting scrap metal, Uh, people brought rubber from tires, Um, people brought old cars, those things were being melted down because they didn't have enough time to dig up the the metals to build enough airplanes and tanks and bullets. Uh, they needed those things. It was all hands on deck. Everybody was involved. Everyone was a part of it. And everyone understood that every person did their share. Those that couldn't be a part of the military, maybe because of age or maybe because of physical ailments, they helped in other ways. They raised funds. They did what they could. If you uh, remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Do you remember George Bailey couldn't join because of his ear? So he, he stayed back and he tried to raise funds and, and uh, support the troops in that way. And I just want you to think of this in context because people brought things to the U.S. government at that time because they understood that the government was fighting. The nation was really fighting for survival. Um. the the Nazis and uh, the the Japanese and the uh, Italians under Mussolini were taking over as much of the world as they could. England was almost already gone. Uh, Much of Europe was almost already gone. Um, The Philippines, where I'm going, was already under Japanese control. It, It was just this incredible, incredible thing where the nation had to come together in this rallying point because they had a mission and a cause that was greater than themselves as individuals. Now, fast forward it to our day, and we realize that we're not in that kind of a mindset today. Uh, We obviously are in a different uh, time and a different status, but I think it's important that we think of the church and what the church was like at this time. Jesus had just been crucified, the resurrection of Jesus was something that couldn't be denied. The apostles were testifying, there was great persecution that was arising. And all of a sudden, God's people came together and said, it's all hands on deck. It's everything that we could do to reach out to as many people as we can, because Jesus is real, um, the gospel is real, and there are many people that are perishing. And so with that as a context, I think it makes sense when you read in Acts chapter four, and you understand what the early church was doing, and they they acted in this one accord. Now, the background, if you remember in Acts three, uh, you remember what happened that there was this uh, man in Acts chapter 3, and then going into Acts chapter 4, that was healed. And uh, upon his healing, when people heard of it, and he's walking, and he's leaping, and he's praising God, and uh, the apostles were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. So remember, people didn't uh, have problems with their works, but with their words. It wasn't so much a problem that the man was healed, but that he was healed in the name of Jesus, And uh, basically, the authorities came together, and they said, be quiet, shut up, don't talk about Jesus, don't mention his name. Now, there's an intolerance, as we talked about last week, for the name of Jesus today. Um, I I was just uh, this morning listening to one of the prayers, prayer for the Dominican Hospital. There's a a prayer meeting that gathers there uh, once a month, and yesterday they met to pray. And that hospital is under incredible amount of pressure right now, because there are people that say, we need to take down all of the crosses. We, we just need to make sure that, that God isn't mentioned, that it becomes this generic kind of good service type of thing, but it's really not uh, about the gospel. It's really not about Jesus. And you see that happening if you go back into the history. You look at Ivy League schools. They were training um, colleges for, for pastors, for missionaries, for Bible teachers. And now they're trying to say, well, those things, we, we need to change all of those things. Uh, My daughter's going to be graduating from USC uh, next month. And uh, did you know that before they were called the USC Trojans, do you know what, anyone know what their name was? You'll be blown away. The Fighting Methodists. The USC Fighting Methodists was their name because it started out as a Methodist college. And yet you you never hear anything like that uh, today. Um, Kind of a funny name to me, the Fighting Methodists. You know, we're going to beat you guys up, we're going to win. But... It is a a day and age in which there's an intolerance for the name of Jesus. You could talk about God generic because especially in California and especially in Santa Cruz, you could be spiritual but not religious. And and, uh, one of the most popular things is Buddhism and and Hinduism. and, And yet so many people that follow those things today don't really even know what it's all about. It's almost like a designer religion. For many of them, for some of them, it might be more traditional. But for many of them, it's just like, hey, I want to be spiritual because I know that there's something more than this material world that we see. But I'm not sure what it is. And so I kind of want to design it and take bits and pieces from things that I believe and kind of make that my own religion. For the apostles, compliance to not preaching in Jesus' name was compromise. And again, remember, we, we talked about that there are times at work that you can be persecuted because you're not doing your work, but when you're doing your work and you have an opportunity at a break or after work or certain times to talk uh, about Jesus, then take that opportunity. If you're at school, uh, I, I remember at uh, Gilroy High School, there was this thing, the day of silence. And uh, this day of silence was a day in, in which the teachers wouldn't teach. They, they stood there, they were silent. Uh, some of the, the students wouldn't speak. And it was just about all of this, uh, this day of silence, and, and basically it was kind of against censorship, against alternative lifestyles and, and, and things like that, or censorship against alternative lifestyles. But, but it, you could do that, but imagine that if a teacher came out and just said something about Christ, said something about being a follower of Christ, that you get these parents that would just get so angry because they mentioned the name. Why did you mention the name And we know from the Bible, we know from God's word that there's power in the name. And it's not a magical thing. It's because of who Jesus is. Now, Jesus was a very, very common name. Um, If you think about a name like John today in, in our culture, I'm sure that there are people here named John, or you have a relative named John, or a friend named John. It's a common name. Jesus was a common name. So it wasn't Jesus in and of itself just because of that name, but it was the person behind the name, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of God. It was that particular Jesus that they were against. Not all people named Jesus. So for the apostles, they realized, hey, we, we really can't uh, compromise. So they said, okay, we're going to let you go. And immediately when they were persecuted and they went through trials, they had ways of dealing with that. If you remember that they, they prayed, they had the strength of friends to go through trials together. They trusted in God's sovereignty. They, they understood that God is in control. It's not your boss, your teacher, your parents. It's none of those people ultimately that are in control. Ultimately, it's God that's in control. And then remember that they were filled with the Holy Spirit again in verse 31. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So now we get to verse 32. They have been filled again with the Holy Spirit because why are they filled again? Remember, because we leak, right? Uh, D.L. Moody was asked that one time uh, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the ladies in the church came up to him and said, uh, Pastor, why, why do you pray again to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you already possess the Holy Spirit? And he said, ma'am, he said, We leak. And so what that means, it doesn't mean that you're not saved because you had a bad day or that the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in you. But that filling is something to overflowing. It's something that God wants us to experience. And when God overflows out of our lives, boldness comes because we just can't keep it in. We just can't not say something about God. So the next thing in verse 32, it says the multitude of those who believed were were of one heart, And one soul and neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now notice in this great unity as the Holy Spirit filled them that they were of one heart. Um, At Ecclesia last year, we talked about being unified, first of all, of belief. What do we believe? They believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the son of God. They believed that Jesus uh, died and rose again. He died for their sins. That was their, their common core belief. And there were other beliefs beyond that, but I think that's where unity really begins. It's by being of that one heart. It says that they were of one soul. Now, the word suke in the Greek, um, it, it's our, our psyche, it's our personality, it's our likes, our dislikes. In this room... Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you like classical music? Raise your hand. Okay, not, not every hand went up, but a lot of hands. Uh, how many of you like rock and roll? All right. How many of you like country? <laughs> all right. All right. Great. You guys are bold for that. All right. That's wonderful. Uh, my wife loves country music. Um, we're not all of the same likings. Okay, we are not all of the same. Hey, we all like the same kind of movies. Uh, we all like the same sports or entertainment. We, we all like, uh, you know, the same music. No, we don't. We're different. So within this unity that we have in Christ, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you find that in the body of Christ, there's incredible diversity. We're different. Uh, some of you love to, to meet new people And if you were thrown into a room of people that you didn't know, you would thrive because it's fun. You get to meet new people. There's new personalities. And and that's kind of a fun thing because you, you like that adventure of meeting people. There are others of you thrown into a group of people you don't know. You would feel like Daniel thrown into the lion's den and you would look for some corner to cower in and to be quiet and you would hope that you have a smartphone so you could look like you're doing something and it could make it you know kind of you know just kind of zone out and not have people think about you the unity they had was not peter and andrew and all those people being exactly same personality in fact remember simon the zealot simon the zealot a zealot was kind of like um, tea party you know to the 10th degree they they were looking at government they were looking at the way that the government was oppressive and uh they wanted to revolt okay he was a zealot the, you know i mean can you imagine that your nickname simon the zealot you know matt the zealot that's your name you're, you're the zealot and then you had this other guy matthew the tax collector who was kind of sold out to the government this guy was a, a jew that was actually collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government. And they looked at him as a traitor, and yet Matthew and Simon become believers and followers of Christ, and they serve together. This is the kind of unity that is happening in Acts chapter 4. And in this unity, there's a unity of belief and, and of ministry, even though we have one, it says one soul. That means that even though they had different personalities and likes, they were all about the things of God. In fact... You could have a great unity and friendship with someone that is very different than you when you're all about the things of God. And then it says that they had all things in common. There was this, this koinonia, this fellowship that they had. Uh, the word koinonia was coined, it, it came into being in the New Testament because there was no other word that could quite describe this. There was no other word that could quite describe what Christians had together. So they had to develop a new word like we have new words today um you go back 10 years the word selfie did not exist well selfie what's a selfie? but in our context today we understand kind of what that is in their context they had you know ecclesia which is the gathering of people but they didn't have a word to describe relationship between that gathering of called out people that word they said was koinonia they experienced something Part of that is seen in the way that they dealt with their material possessions. The material possessions, it, our material possessions, our money. You know, sometimes people say that money is the root of all evil. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches this. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so your attitude, my attitude towards money and towards possessions kind of reveals where my heart is and, and what I worship. It reveals where my heart is and what I worship. The word worship means worthship. Some of you would never pay big money to go golfing. Okay, because that's like, why would you ever want to hit a, a stupid little white ball around a, a, this big field and, and people pay all this money? And, and some of you, you value that very highly, So if you had to pay an exorbitant amount of money to play on this specific golf course, you would. Different values and it shows what worth is. Well, materialism and finances, it shows where our heart is when it comes to our understanding of what really is worthy. And if you wanna know what I think, what you think is worthy and is of great value in your life, check your calendar and how you spend your time and check your wallet or your bank account and find out where the money goes. Forensic accountants, when they're trying to solve crimes, always do what? They try to find out where the money is flowing. Because once they find out where the money is flowing, then they find out what that person is doing and what that person is all about. And in the same way, if if we look at our hearts when it comes to worship... If we look at where the time goes and where the money flows, it shows kind of what we see as worthy. Now, this was seen in their possessions. And again, we could look at this as the, as the early church in the book of Acts, but I, I see it today. Uh, yesterday, um, I had the the blessing of doing um, probably the most beautiful wedding I've ever done. Uh, the venue was uh, up in the mountains here, uh, the border of Scott's Valley, Los Gatos, up Summit Road, up, up dirt roads, way in the back. And this, this guy, 95 years old, owns about 15 acres of property. He's owned it for years. And what he's done is he's carved out of this mountain an amphitheater uh, amongst redwood trees, and there's just logs out there. I, the people that I uh, had the opportunity to to marry, uh, David and Stacy, they were part of the church over in Gilroy before. And uh, I worked with Stacy at Advent Group Ministries. And Advent Group Ministries uh, works with uh, drug and alcohol dependent youth mostly, but also adults. Um, David uh, came to the church. And David was uh, a former Marine. And when he got out of the Marines, he went into education specifically to reach out to at risk youth. And. Um, David and Stacy, when they met and they came together, they realized that they were all about the same things, reaching out to troubled youth however they can. And so for their wedding, they registered. And we got an invitation, and they tried to save as much money as they could. And the registry wasn't at a store. It was on Amazon. So you go to Amazon.com, and uh, you go to their registry. And on their registry, what they have is items that they would use for ministry of reaching out to these youth. Last year, they spent the summer in Death Valley. And what they did is they took group after group after group of troubled youth camping. So for their bridal registry, what they asked for was camp stoves and tents and uh, water purifi- you know, purification systems. And, and it was all about that because they wanted the money to flow into something that they felt was, was that worthy. Just one of the coolest things. So not only was the venue beautiful, but I, I saw two people come together that, that had the same heart. Um, I think it's seen in possessions when uh, I think about people in ministry that when there may be a calling on someone's life, and in the world we have these values in which we think that this thing, this, this lifestyle is so valuable. But when someone is willing to leave a home, when someone is willing to leave a place of employment, When someone is willing to leave family, to go into a new place, to take a venture of faith, I see that happening today. Some of you have done that. Some of you in this room have done that. Uh, In fact, uh, Josh and Erica Shively have just done that, and they just moved over here, uh, got a job at Trader Joe's. They're still looking for a place. So if anyone has a two-bedroom place for them or you know of a place, let them know and let us know. I I see it happen when uh, there are times when people sell a home or a business, and they take that and they say, God, what do you want to do with the proceeds of this? Sometimes they'll ask me, hey, what, what's something that we could do with these proceeds? What, what is some avenue of ministry? I also see it happen with, with big, big things like, how many of you have heard of the Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie? Okay, down in Southern California that, and now worldwide they do these Harvest Crusades. Um, does anyone know how those started? There was, a, there was a guy named Rich Snyder. Anyone recognize the name Rich Snyder? Rich Snyder was the owner, family-owned. I grew up in Baldwin Park, California. It was the first one down the street from me, the first in and out, still family-owned. Rich Snyder went to Calvary Chapel, West Covina. As the church started to grow, and Rich Snyder uh, got to know Chuck Smith and started to find out a little bit more about what Calvary Chapel was doing, um, he came to Chuck and he said, Chuck, what would be in your heart to do if you, if you could just do something and, and money were not, you know, the, the hindrance of doing that? And Pastor Chuck said, you know what I would love to do? I'd love to rent um, the Irvine Amphitheater, you know, and just rent that place and do an evangelistic outreach and get some bands coming in and get a, 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 an evangelist. And so Rich told him, okay, don't tell anyone, but I, I'll help you to fund that. And so what Pastor Chuck did is he asked Greg Laurie, hey, would you come and would you be the evangelist for this event? And eventually that grew into what we know as the Harvest Crusades. Those things still happen today. And it's not just something in the book of Acts. It's something that each one of us has an opportunity to say, Lord, what do you want to do? I've seen it happen with the body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz in which people have uh, given or loaned cars to one another because someone was in need or homes of hospitality. So there was this great unity that was taking place. In verse 33, it says, and with great power. Now the word great, if you, if you have it in your Bible, anyone know the, the word that is used here for great? It's a mega. And we say mega, mega power. This is mega power was happening right here. A mega power The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So notice that ministry and the focus of the mission was there. The apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's what it was all about. It was not commune for the sake of commune. And it wasn't communism because no one was forcing them to do this. In the early days of um, the Jesus people movement... Uh, there were these communes. Uh, how many of you, just out of curiosity, were any of you in a commune like that or lived in one of those homes? A couple of you did? Okay, just just a few of you. Those homes were homes of ministry in which someone would donate a home and say, hey, here's a home to be used for this, and it would be a discipleship training center. In fact, I can't remember where it is in, in Santa Cruz, but there's this one home that, that someone at the church here had told me about, that's been in existence for like 20 years. And for 20 years, different people will move in and move out, and there's some rules behind it and some discipleship. Um, there was this incredible um, you know, community, but notice that it was because the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. See, hippies had communes also, but it wasn't for the sake of Jesus. And there are communes today that are, Hey, we need to just band together, and it's all about organic food. Uh, a commune—it's all about living off the land. A commune—it's all about not buying things. It's all about you know reduction and simplifying and and uh, reducing reducing our footprint in this world. So there's those types of things, but the purpose behind what the disciples and the followers of Jesus were doing was that they were giving witness to the re- resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and there was great power. And also notice there was also great grace upon them all. I I pray that that's a mark of our lives. Great grace. You know, in the the video that we just watched, when a person comes into a community in which the people show grace, it's something that that people wanna be a part of. Because grace is something that at times people can't define, but people can see it. The lack of grace is also very visible. And I'll tell you that if you're struggling, if you're going through difficulties, um, you know, this morning, we're gonna contrast what's happening here to Ananias and Sapphira. They kind of fake like everything was good and everything in their hearts was not good. It's important for us to be able to say, God, you know me as I am. and, And you know, I need your great grace. And then when we're the recipients of that great grace, we need to give that great grace to others. The next thing is that there was generosity and trust. Read with me in verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And laid them at the apostles feet and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Again, this wasn't Communism because no one was forcing them to do this no one was coming in and uh and saying okay when you walk into this meeting place give us your your tax statement because we need to see how much money you have and then you're now required to give that much money in fact in in uh the romans it says oh no man anything except what to love one another so that was the law the law was love and as they were Responding in love, they saw needs, and spontaneously, as the Holy Spirit would put it on their hearts to do, they would meet those needs, and they were really fulfilling a debt of love, because God is the one that shows us by example that He's generous. Now, when it comes to financial stewardship, um, our policy as a church, I think, is a good policy for individuals. If you don't, maybe, maybe you're thinking, I don't have a financial policy. For your life. Um, It might be a good idea to adopt a financial policy. um, Some method of stewardship. And so our our financial policy is very simple. It's first of all to be generous. Secondly to act in faith. And thirdly to be good stewards. And let me explain what each one of those is. Um, To be generous. Generosity. Um, God is a very generous God. God. Has he given you something that you don't deserve? Has he given to you abundantly? Absolutely. And God calls us to reflect his character. And so when it comes to generosity, I I remember um, just one brother uh, a couple of years ago was just kind of destitute, just kind of going through incredible, incredible trials. Um, He called us up. And he did not go to our church. He actually was a part of another ministry. And he was just kind of sharing things that he was going through. And he started to cry. Just was crying, just telling me things that are going on. And he was not asking for anything. He was only just telling me what was happening. He didn't say, hey, can you help? He just told me what happened. This is kind of what's going on in my life. So I brought it to the elders of the church. And we, I just shared the situation. So we prayed. We said, okay, Lord, what should we do? And in my mind, I had a certain amount of money that I I just felt like we should give to this person because he's trustworthy and what happened was not his fault and these things kind of came upon him. So he prayed about how to help this this brother. And there was one of the elders uh, that was the the tightest of the elders financially, (laughs) a business owner, just really, you know, a fine-tooth comb, And I knew if there was going to be a hard sell for, hey, I think we should really help this guy extravagantly, abundantly above what we would think that we would normally help someone, he was going to be the hard sell. I was thinking that in my mind. So we were done praying. I said, what do you guys think? And the guy that I thought was going to be the hardest one to convince said, I'm taking off my business owner hat and I'm putting on my elder hat and I'm praying through this And he said, and and God has done this work in my heart where I would deal with things differently um, as a a ministry than than would be business sense, you know, in a way. And he said, I just think that we should give him this amount, which was bigger than the amount that I thought was already a big amount. Which challenged my faith to think, I don't know, that's a little bit too much. Because I'm thinking that I don't know if we could really afford to give that much. And so when he said it, I just kind of stopped and I listened to all the other guys and we prayed and all the other guys said, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. And you know what I found? That when we gifted this to this brother, his attitude in receiving it, he just started to weep. He tried to say thank you and he said, hey, just, and he just broke down and he just started weeping. All glory goes to God. But let me tell you who else who also is blessed. Our church was blessed for helping this individual out. And you know what? God provided for this individual, but God also provided for the the work of the ministry. And I I see this rule that that when it comes to generosity and giving, it always comes back to you. And we don't give to get. We're not into a Ponzi scheme of giving here. You know, everybody give this amount or whatever. I, I really believe though, that with God, that when you give out of generosity, that God always not only takes care of your needs as you think you have needs, but even more abundantly than you would think that. The second thing is to act in faith. Sometimes God would call you to do something in faith that you don't think that you can afford. Now, when it comes to tithing, in the Old Testament, a tithe was 10%, but then there was not only the the regular tithe, there was the different feasts and there were different offerings above and beyond that so you get to the new testament you realize we're not bound by the law you know in a legalistic way but it's still a good place to start because jesus says you're to give freely we, we read this uh in, in paul's epistles that let each one gives as he purposes in his heart for god loves a cheerful giver in acting in faith um there are times that god will call us to do things and say hey I think that God is in this. I, I remember when um, the first time I went on staff in ministry, it was uh, at a time I was working. Um, I was first of all working at Pac Bell because that was kind of our pastoral training, you know, part of it. And then after that, I was working at Advent. I was a principal of a school and um, I was teaching there as well. And as the church had more and more needs, um, the elders came to me and said, Hey, Matt, we just we really think it, it's time because your family is stretched, you're stretched. Uh, we realized that you need to be able to be available to, to pastor the church. And so we're really praying about it. So we looked at our budget and what we could afford. And we realized something. If I went on staff full time to be able to pastor the church there in Gilroy, that we had 14 months. If giving remained constant and all of our expenses you know, increased by me being able to be full time, we had 14 months and then we would have zero money. So not really a, a super wise business thing, but more of a faith thing. And we prayed about it and said, what, what should we do? They said, hey, let, let's do it. And we did it. And what God did was God provided. Sometimes you gotta act in faith. And some of you have acted in faith by, by moving to a new job, that you felt like God called you to move to that new job. And that might've been a pay cut for you. Some of you have, have done things because it's just the passion that God has put in your heart. And yes, you can make more money doing this, but this is really what I want to do. And I think God's wired me in this way. And you've done that. And the fulfillment comes, not necessarily monetarily the way that the world would see it, but God blesses you. Let me say that the last thing is to be good stewards. If as a, a follower of Christ, maybe you're a new believer and you're thinking about this concept of, a, of giving 10% um, of a, an income, saying, wow, that's a 10% cut. I don't know how I could live off of that. I don't think that I could live off of that 10%. If you had a job, this is just hypothetical. If you had a job and the job was downsizing at your company and they were just gonna lay people off, but they decided we're not gonna lay everybody off. What we're gonna do is across the board, everybody has to take a 10% pay cut. Would you say, I quit? I quit, that's not enough. Or would you say, you know what? This is a job, and so maybe in this job, I need to reduce some things so that I could I could live on this. Now, those are different scenarios because one is forced and the other one is worship. And I don't know who gives what. I don't. I do know that there's probably about a third to a little bit over a third of people that give on a regular basis. Because as good stewards, we should know those things. Um, I, I think that it's just important for us, if you're visiting, ne- never to feel like, hey, w- what's going on here? We're just going through scriptures and, hey, welcome. You know, this is the 9 o'clock Sunday that you chose to ke- come on, and, and uh, here you are. But, but really, in reality, it's all about worship, and being good stewards means it's not, I'm giving God 10% of my money. Imagine if, if you had a child, and this child had some bone marrow, And the only way to extract what is needed for this person that is dying is for your child that matches, not only to give bone marrow, but maybe an organ, maybe to even give his life. And you say, okay, I'll do that because my son wants to do that. My son's an adult. He decides he wants to do this. I want to do this. I want to give an organ. I want to give a part of my life so that this person or maybe many people could live. So that happens. And the only thing that you would say is, hey, if, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, you want to give 10% back to this organization that will help people to to get a cure and to, to learn how to deal with this, then that's that we're, we're asking that, but you don't have to. It's up to you it's, if you want to do that. Do you think that would be unreasonable? No. So in reality, when God has given me everything, including his own son, and Jesus has died for my sin— It's not about me giving him 10%. God says, I own everything. 100% is yours or mine. And I'm giving everything to you. Are you willing to trust me with giving 10 back? Or whatever the Lord puts on your heart, you know, to give back. And when I see things like that happening, I realize that God works in ways because in that mindset of Rosie the Riveter, in that mindset of, hey, all hands on deck, The book of Acts, this early church was all about reaching as many people for the gospel as possible. And if the vision is only to to have staff that is full time, that's a small vision that will never work. And that's never something that we should look for. If it's to have a building, if our vision is a, a box that seats people and has air conditioning and lights, that's not enough. That falls far short. If our vision is to reach people with the gospel, to build up disciples, to send people out, and to do as much as we can right now to reach this world, then that's the vision that God gives to us. And I think that's something we could all say, hey, I want to be a part of what God is doing, however God wants to use me, whatever those ways are. And so um, with that, the next thing that happens is you have this guy that is the son of encouragement. Now notice that a lot of people did this. A lot of people gave um everything and and they they did these things and and maybe you've had a bad experience in which um i had a bad experience in which i went to see a concert it was a christian concert in a tent over on monterey you know uh 101 they called it blood alley because it used to be the 101 it was monterey street over towards gilroy there was this tent there was this concert christian concert and they literally did something that i'd never seen done i had only heard about they closed the doors And said, we're going to receive, we're going to take, they didn't say receive, we're going to take an offering... And then the offering came in. They said, it wasn't enough. Keep the doors closed. We're gonna keep going until we get to this amount. And they kept passing these baskets until they got to this certain amount. I'll tell you, I was ready to break the door down. And the only reason I didn't is because I was invited by some friends and I just kind of felt real awkward and real bad for myself and for everybody else in there. Maybe you've had some bad experiences like that. This is not what it was like in the book of Acts. It was a free will offering. And one of the guys in verse 36 Joseph, also named Joseph, um, his nickname was what? Barnabas. Who gave him that nickname? What does it say? The Apostles. He was also named Barnabas by the Apostles, which is translated as what? Son of Encouragement. And this guy, in his background, his heritage, he was a, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. And in verse 37, having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this guy had a nickname. Um, His nickname was Son of Encouragement, Barnabas. Now, why did this guy get the nickname and other people that were doing the same thing didn't get the nickname? Well, I, I think that he was encouraging, right? He was super encouraging. And what was encouraging about him? He was from what tribe? He was a Levite. In the Old Testament law, what was to be true of the Levites when it comes to possessing land? Anyone know? They were the priests. They were the helpers of the priests. They weren't supposed to possess any land. And as part of the the temple, as part of the, the sacrifice and the worship, when people would bring offerings, they were to live off of that. And they were to live together off of the lands that God had provided for them in these certain areas. But they weren't to own their own land. They were just to, to live in that place as a commune. But this guy owned land. He, he owned this, this sum of money and this land. And in those days, to be a landowner meant that you were pretty wealthy because you owned your property. Other people worked for you, but you owned the property. And you know what he did? The Holy Spirit did something in this guy's life that, number one, made him generous And number two, made him obedient. And he took that money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And because it was public knowledge that Barnabas, who was a Levite, was also a leader and a landowner, people knew when he had sold that land and it was very open and it was out there. And you know what I think that did? It it encouraged the, the people. And I'll tell you what, when I hear about what God does, when someone says, hey, I have this, You know this talent I have this thing I want to do that's in my heart to do that super encourages me And I think it super encourages the rest of the body now as um Close with this last story that we've read through this account of ananias and sapphira, which was pretty harsh notice that They sold their possession Um, but they kept back part of the proceeds and then they brought it to the apostles feet and Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Now in the Bible, what other person do you remember that it says that Satan filled his heart? Judas. And Judas was the treasurer of God's apostles, Jesus' apostles, and was skimming money off the top. And Judas was greedy. And in his greed, um, when, when, remember that the woman with the costly uh, vial of, of the perfume, when, you know, she's breaking it, Judas is like, what are you doing? You know, there's all these times when, when Judas wants to, and he says, oh, all that could be used to feed the poor. But he was also skimming money off of the top. Greed is satanic. It, greed is satanic. I just want to make sure that we understand that. And I'll tell you that whenever greed starts to creep in, what starts to get pushed out is the things of God because it becomes all about me and what I can get and what I could possess and what I could own. Now, it's not wrong to own anything, but do you own it or does it own you? And in that possession of it, are you freely willing to say, God, I offer this up to you to do whatever you wanna do with my job, with my house, with my talent, with my time? Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to whom? The Holy Spirit. Now, understand this, um, when he kept back part of the price of the land for himself, they just saw Barnabas get these accolades, like Barnabas gives this, he's obedient to the faith, he's a Levite, and now all of a sudden people come up to Barnabas and say, hey, you know what, hey Joseph, Joseph, you know what, we're going to call you Barnabas, you're so encouraging, and maybe Ananias and Sapphira kind of wanted in on that, they wanted people to think that they were more spiritual than they really were, so they bring their land, but they don't give all of the money they only give a part of it but they give this pretense that they're giving all of it and peter asked this question listen while it remained was it not your own in other words no one forced you to give it and then after it was sold was it not in your own control you don't have to say i'm giving all you could have just given a portion no one was forcing you to do anything and then he says why have you conceived this thing in your heart you have not lied to men but to god Now, realize this that the Holy Spirit is whom? The Holy Spirit is God. And guess what? The Holy Spirit knows your thoughts and my thoughts all the time. And I could lie to other people and I could put a false pretense and people could think I'm more spiritual than I really am and more godly than I really am, but who really knows? God really knows. And God calls them to account. And in the same way, this is the birth of the church. Just like there was the birth in Israel of a a, a new nation or uh, God's people being rescued out of Egypt. At the beginning, God just purified things. And so I don't see people falling dead today in the same way for the same types of things. But at the beginning of the church, God was saying, listen, this is a a pure thing when it comes to um, my glory. No one's gonna touch my glory. As he closed with this, ananias fell down he breathed his last and then after that um the young men they arose they wrapped him up they carried him out great fear came upon all those who heard these things so there was great power great grace and great fear and then three hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened peter asked her hey did you sell the land for so much and she she said yeah for so much and peter said how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the lord Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her out and buried her by her husband. They lied to the Holy Spirit and great fear, it says in verse 11, mega fear came upon all of the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, yes, harsh, absolutely. But whether it was the Israelites entering into the promised land or when the prophets came and Elijah called fire down from heaven or when Jesus came and he did miracles or the Holy Spirit was given, there's something at the beginning of all of these things that it seems like God wants to keep those things pure. So as we close, I would like to challenge you with something. And uh, it'll probably be something that you don't expect. Um, Because you're thinking, okay, now it's like the big push. We're going to go for 18% this year. Or, uh, you know, we have a thermometer here. And uh, every week we're going to look at the thermometer and see how much it is. It's not that. It's possessing all things, but not being possessed by anything. It's having all things in common. It's what Paul said, becoming all things to all men that I might save some. I really think that when it comes to ministry, um, I was meeting with Pastor Bill and also with uh, Bob Nicholson. We went out to lunch and we were talking about things. And, and Bob just asked a question. He said, how many, how many kayaks does the church have? It's like kayaks. We don't own any kayaks. And then he said, well, how many kayaks do you have? I said, I have one. I have one kayak. He said, I have two kayaks. He said, do you think there's other people in the church that have kayaks? I said, yeah, there's probably other people that have kayaks. He said then the church has a lot of kayaks and what we're not we're not saying hey if you have a kayak it's ours now we're going to we have a truck we're going to come to your house we're going to take it we have we bought a big storeroom so that we could have these things at at the church but what, what we were saying is that what if we use some of those things that we already do and that we already enjoy and we just say hey we're not going to kayak just for fellowship to kayak but we're going to kayak as a way of reaching out to people that don't know Christ and aren't followers of Christ and maybe wouldn't come to church, but have a common interest so that we could build relationship and just bridge a gap. Don't you think that that would be pretty cool? He said, how how many people have bikes? How many people like biking? How many people like hiking? Uh, how many people like uh, scrapbooking? Uh, how many people... So there are some things, these are affinity groups, things that you may enjoy. You play softball or basketball or just some some things that you you like to do. And what I'm going to ask you to do is that in the seat backs there, there are these cards. And when I pray and we receive the offering, I'm going to have you write something on this card on the back. It would be great if you want to put your name. If you don't, just the survey part of it would be fine on the back. But just what is... Here's first question. What is something that you enjoy doing that you would like to do with other people? Because if we look at that and enough people do that, then maybe that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit might call us to reach out and say, hey, we could do a bike ride. And the bike ride is not just a fun ride. It's a way to raise money for, you know, the international justice mission. And we're doing these things. And then they find out that we're Christians and it bridges a gap and it builds a relationship. So the first thing, and I'm going to ask everybody to do this, write down one thing that you enjoy doing that you would love to do with other people. And the second thing is needs-based. What is, spiritually speaking, or, I mean, just in your life, what is one of the greatest needs in your life? And if you want to be anonymous, you could do that. You don't have to be. We're not going to give it out with names or anything like that. But maybe if maybe the greatest need in your life is like reconciliation, like uh, conflicts with, with friends or relatives or how to resolve those conflicts, then maybe we would do a seminar here at the church of how to resolve conflict and they would all be biblically based that you could come to, but we're going to ask the community if you would like to participate in this also and say, hey, we're going to have a conflict resolution uh, seminar And maybe that's something that they want to hear. And then when they find out that those principles are biblical and that when you get into groups and you're talking about those things, then maybe it builds a gap and it builds a relationship. These are possible doorways for ministry. So these cards are super important. Don't think of it as like, well, I've already filled out an information card. We we want to know this because as we're praying about it, we want to discern the body and say, God, what is it that you're doing in and through the group of people that we have here? Maybe you like to make music. Maybe you like to make video whatever it is. So first thing, something you enjoy doing and would like to do it with someone else. Second thing is what is what is one of your greatest needs in ministry? If we could minister to you, what is one of your greatest needs? And when we look at that, we could just say, "Hey, you know what? There's there's a lot of people that this is the greatest need in their life right now." Um it's it's managing grief it's financial stewardship and how to manage my money it's whatever those things are and then as you write that what i'm going to do is i'm going to close in prayer um, uh, and have the worship team come up and as we receive the offering we're going to have one song because uh, it's kind of a a a busy morning with um you know our nine o'clock sunday so that they could kind of start turning this place over to to be used for another purpose but But I just want you to pause with me and and pray as the worship team comes up. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to do in us and through us what he wants to do. Um, As I'm praying, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted people to think that they were more spiritual than they were. That they really had it all together when they didn't really have it all together. And and I, I stand up here with you. I don't have it all together. Um, this morning, I was so blessed at 9 o'clock. I invite you to come out, or 8 o'clock this morning, but 9 o'clock prayer. Someone prayed for me and said yesterday when they were praying, they were thinking that because we're about ready to go to the Philippines, that it was probably going to be an intense day and started to pray for us, um, knowing that there's probably some spiritual warfare that would happen. I was so grateful because there was a lot of that yesterday. And I don't have it all together. You know, I just... I was so stressed, and last night, just trying to get things done, I just kind of blew my stack and lost my temper with, with uh, one of my kids, and it just felt so bad, and this morning, just apologized to him, I just said, I-, I love you, I hugged him, just said, I- I'm sorry. Um, know this, that when we come to the Lord in worship, it's been said before that Christians don't tell lies, Christians sing lies. Um, I don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira, to say one thing and have that not really be true of my heart. So as we worship, let's ask God to take our hearts and to make us sincere, authentic followers of Christ. And then when we receive the offering and the ushers come forward, would you not only um, fill out that card, but also drop that in the offering as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the dear friends, God, that have gathered, gathered at this nine o'clock Sunday. Lord, I wanna thank you for Uh, Many of the anonymous gifts that have been given Lord both in financial monetary things as well as uh, Serving with time and talents and abilities Lord the way that you have blessed the body of Christ. It's just um, Something that reflects your nature And so father I pray that As we are the recipients of great grace God your your favor your friendship your relationship we don't deserve that but lord because of your grace it's offered to us i pray god that we would have the heart of generosity as well and lord that we would be all together in one place having all things in common even though we're different that the thing that we have in common is you and that lord we want to reach as many people as we can because we know that people need to know who you are father i pray that Unlike Ananias and Sapphira. Lord, that we would come to you in sincerity this morning. And we just, um, Lord, confess, we're, we're messed up in a lot of ways. We struggle in a lot of ways. And even if we're saved and we are followers of you, we still have these tendencies to go our own way. We thank you for your great grace and love and mercy. We pray, God, that you would, use our talents, our gifts and abilities, Lord, to minister to others. And Lord, this morning that you'd bless the offering, not only of our tithes, but Lord, that you'd bless the offering of our lives as we say, God, use us. And we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.